Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. We're looking at the subject that was assigned and, and uh, is, is, is God guilty of genocide in the way that the Israelites took the promised land. And uh, I gave, so I'm going to have to pick and choose through the various sermon or the uh, scripturals that's on your outline and you'll need to follow it and we'll try to get through the opening part as quickly as possible <clears throat> because the key to everything is, is number two. That's the, we have to get to that and spend time there. Actually, this would have been handled better, I suspect, by either uh, Pat Apel or Matthew because what I'm really required to do is to build a case for God. Because what happens too often is that when youngsters go to college and take a class in anthropology or zoology or in some history classes, so on and so forth, a professor will say, who is anti-Christian, uh, and they're free to, to be that way if they choose, will we'll make an accusation that God in, is guilty of genocide. And here's a youngster that's grown up in Sunday school, gone to church all of his life, and he is not equipped to defend himself or to, 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 to defend God. Now, you need to know ahead of time that God get, gets a... There's only two or three things in all of uh, the, jur, the jurisprudence where an individual is guilty and, to, and must prove his innocence. If he's made it... If you hand in your taxes... You have to prove that what, you're, what you put on your taxes is accurate. In almost all of the rest of our legal system, you're innocent until proven guilty beyond all reasonable doubt. And what happens in situations like this is, it's just like in the tax thing, and a, an attack is made upon God's integrity... And then, who's going to defend God? Any attacks on anybody, according to Scripture, and then it was brought into our jurisprudence system, it was, came from the Bible, is that any time there is an attack made on somebody, you have to have two or three witnesses before you believe what they're saying is true. And that's in both the Old and the New Testament. One thing, and, and, you know, I've gone through this in the last, soon be a year ago. I, I, was, I was attacked, and there isn't one witness who can support the attack that was made. And you know why there aren't any witnesses? I wasn't guilty. But once the attack is made, a lot of people assume that since the attack was made, you're guilty. And now you're in a position, 
of, of an untenable position. You're in a position of proving you didn't do what you didn't do. That's called, in debate, that's called affirming a negative, which is virtually impossible to do. And so when an attack is made on God with no witnesses other than a guy who has a PhD in control of a classroom and says God is guilty of genocide and there are no witnesses and, then, and, and so in order to defend God and that's what I'm here to do today I'm here to defend God and to prove, if I can, beyond all reasonable doubt, that the accusations that he is guilty of, and I've gone to the trouble to put on your back of your bulletin there, this is what genocide is, and this is how it, you can see how it's been done in, in Hit, under Hitler, under uh, Stalin, under, and there are several others. And more recently, something I know a little more about is in Rwanda when the the Hutus murdered about a million Tutsis, two tribes. It's, so to make a charge against somebody that, uh, that they're guilty of genocide is a horrible indictment. That's a horrible thing to say about anybody. And I have to apologize to the people last night because... Uh, God would go be in jail today for the kind of defense that I, <laughs> that I gave last night because I just didn't do a very good job. So I ask you to be patient with me. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm going to try to do this the very best I can. The study of, uh, the, study of the Scripture on any subject so that you have uh, the complete picture the science of interpretation is called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is not just, just for the Bible, but it's for any, even in law, it, hermeneutics means it is the proper interpretation of a situation or a law or whatever happens to be. And so what has to, you have to do to be fair is you can't pick one passage of Scripture on a subject and just use it. You have to take all of the scriptures on any given subject in order to have the whole picture. Or you haven't been fair to the scripture. And that study of all of the scriptures so that you get the complete picture, that study is called hermeneutics. Now, I don't expect you to remember that. I just want you to know I know it because it's a big word. Now then, when you read in the, past, in the scripture here, and we'll move quickly through this, this opening part. When you look here uh, at, in Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy simply means the second law. Deuteros means, or duo, as you know, or dual means two. It was the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy repeats the Ten Commandments that are, that are also in the 20th chapter of the book of, of Exodus. And so I want to look at these four questions at the top. These are situations that you need to at least mention in order to, to establish the framework for what we're going to do later. Number one, who owns everything? How do you know that? We, only, we have to go to Scripture. 
the, the one that I'll give you first, because I gave you two, but I'm just going to use one just for the sake of time, is in the 24th Psalm, which says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, you may own a piece of property, but you're really a tenant because it's all of it's owned by God. And, and, and even though you may put the deed inside of your casket, it won't mean much. That's not going to accomplish a thing. You just waste good paper. Because ultimately, we live in it, we pay our rent, we pay our dues, and then we let somebody else have it. Well, Israel, at the time Joshua came, led the children of Israel in, was occupied by seven nations all of whom who had come from somewhere else into the promised land, into Israel. And the reason they had come there is because the trade routes from Egypt up to uh, into Turkey, over into Rome and Greece, and east to Babylon, the trade routes all came through there. So if you wanted to get rich, that's where you went to. For instance, one of the groups, are the, I'm not going to mention all of them, I'll mention two. The Jebusites, primarily in Jerusalem. It was Jerus or Jebus, all the same thing, all the same word. Because remember, in Hebrew, there are no English, there, there are no, uh, everything is a consonant. There are no vowels. All the vowels are added in the translation. You only have, Hebrew, you only have consonants. And so... Uh, the, the Jebusites were primarily there. The other interesting group are the Hittites. The Hittites live primarily in modern-day Turkey, and I've always wanted to go to... The, their, they've had uh, several cities there that are very interesting. All of them were underground. And in these underground cities, that's why they were so difficult, and they were great warriors, and they've restored two of those cities... They had, under, they had running water. They had storage because the temperature underground is pretty stable. They could keep food for long periods of time. They had granaries. I mean, they were a pretty, and they were politically strong and militarily strong. And so they sent people down into Israel to, to loot all of the money. That, they were actually kind of robbers that... Uh, hit the, the, uh, the, the people who were coming in from the east because they were often wealthy. Now, I've always wanted to go, haven't been able to do that. I've been, in, I've been in Turkey several times, but I've never been able to get down there because of some tension in the country. Second thing we, I want you to look at is this. God always keeps his promise. And God made a promise to Abraham when he was called out of uh, the land... Uh, 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 down close to Babylon all the way into the promised land he, God made a promise to him and he promised that the day would come when this country would be given to his descendants and in the New Testament Peter writes this the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness but is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and so God always keeps his promise and what he's doing with Joshua coming into the land is he's keeping the promise that he'd made to Abraham Isaac and so on down the line and and you find that particularly in the opening chapter of the book of Joshua the third one is this. 
Whenever God does something of significance, he always lets people know ahead of time. If, they need, they, he, he, if, if there's going to be an attack on them, they're warned ahead of time. There's going to be an attack. You need to do whatever. God always prepares. He never lets somebody go to hell without giving them the opportunity to repent. The purpose of preaching is to prepare, is to warn people that there is a hell, there is an eternal separation from God, and here's the warning so that you don't have to do that. That was the role of the prophets, and that's the role of the preachers today. That's what we're here for, to warn people. God sent them to, for that particular purpose. So he always gives people a heads up before he, he acts. Always he does that. The problem that we run into in our culture as well as then, man wanted to be, have the same power as God. Do you remember the temptation that Satan gave Eve? If you guys want to be like God, you'll take a nibble of what was probably a fig. You guys think it's an apple, but you're probably wrong. And, and so they were tempted to do that. And man has always, always wanted to play God. In fact, if you go to the book of Romans, and I'll get to read this uh, chapter 7 here in a minute as we move along. In, in the first chapter of the book of Romans in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes reference to that very concept. He spells it out in detail that man has one of our big temptations is, is we want power. As I've tried to tell you in the past, all sin that I know anything about is either uh, has something to do with money, sex, or power. All sin is related to those three things, money, sex, and power. And sometimes they're all related. So here in the opening chapter, and I'm going to read this, this in, in, uh, starting here at verse, uh, what, 18? Mm-hmm. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from, um, from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So what has man done about it? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, for their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of an of a immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. The reduction of God to man gives man the authority to, to, to be in control. And man has always wanted to be in control. Always wanted to play God. And, and, and tensions between people always is who's going to be in control. That's the way it is. Now, so I want you to know that, that if the professors who attack Christianity invariably have redu want to reduce God, if they'll even admit that he is, to being a mere mortal so that they are on the same level with God. They're actually wanting to play God. 
And one of the great temptations that you and I have is we are tempted to play God at times in judgment and judging people and doing a lot of things that we don't have any business doing. Now, the big problem that we're facing here is God is, uh, is that the attacks upon God are that he is guilty of genocide. We've we got six or seven others we'll be addressing in the next few weeks. Genocide, meaning that you're just going to wipe out somebody, get them off the face of the earth. Opening chapter, or the seventh chapter of the book of, of Deuteronomy reads, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to possess, and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, and all those other guys, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Now, that particular passage of Scripture is taken as an expression of genocide. And if you only took that passage of Scripture, it would look like God was guilty of genocide. But when you bring together other passages on the same subject, the picture changes. The picture changes. And what we're here for in the next few minutes is to bring to bear for your attention those other passages of Scripture on the same subject so that you will have a whole picture and not just this picture that, says, that looks like that God is going to come in and just use the Israelites to wipe out men, women, children, uh, everything, and then burn the place down. Well, there's some truth to that. They are going to burn the place down after it's destroyed. And they are going to try to eliminate any recollection of the life of the people who lived there ahead of time. And we'll, and we'll actually see why that's the case. Now, God had two reasons for wanting the children of Israel to go into Palestine or the land that he had promised to Abraham. One of them is this. And that's under number one. He had a short-term thing there, and that was that he was going to keep the promise that he'd made to Abraham, and you can see, read that in the 15th chapter of Genesis. He said, I'm going to give this land to you, and, I'm going to, and he made the promise time. He renewed that covenant with Abraham time and time again. He, he talked about uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, on down the line, but the time will come when I'm going to give it to your descendants to occupy it. Because I'm going to keep my promise. Number two, God was also keeping a promise that he had made in Genesis. And the promise in Genesis was that the day would come when the devil would, uh, would get his due. And that God would send his son into the world in order to redeem guys like you and me. And so, those were the, and so he's preparing the people. That's why in Galatians 4.4... 4, it's that Paul wrote, God in the, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born under the law and da-da-da-da-da in order to fulfill all of those things so that you and I could be redeemed. Now those are the two things that he, ha that he had promised to do and in coming into the land, the promised land, that's what he was trying to fulfill that, those, those two promises. Now then, let's look at the things that are really important in building my case. And, and I think we can do it in a fairly reasonable length of time. So this is under number two where I say choose your terminology with care. I want you to remember this term. I'm going to drive out. And that's here in, Gen in, in we read that. He said, when the Lord has delivered them over to you. The Lord, keep this in mind. In verse one he said, and drives them out 
before you. Drives these people out. The Lord's going to drive them out before you. Keep that in mind because that's exactly what God's going to do. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's look at some passages of Scripture here. Uh, in Joshua 3.10, we'll start there. And I just want to emphasize that term. Uh, here's what he says. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, blah, 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 and all those guys. Blah, 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 blah means seven different nations. That's in tongues. <laughs> anyway. So what he's telling them is God is going to drive them out before you. Keep that in mind. Because what we're doing here is we're building a case from Scripture that God is innocent of what? Genocide. So hang with me. That's what we're about to do here. All right. Now, God never acts, we said, unless he forewarns the people that are going to be involved in what he does. You're not going to go to hell without you hearing that Jesus is the Christ, and if you put your faith in him, you're going to go to heaven. You've been forewarned. Jesus, one of these days, is coming again. He's, you've been forewarned. Whenever God does something of any dramatic act that people will be able to see and remember, he always gives a heads up. Always. How does he do that? How does God forewarn in particular reference to Joshua leading the children of Israel in the conquest of the promised land? Number one. Number one, this is in Exodus, the 33rd chapter, and the third verse. Here's what it says. Well, I'll start at verse 2. Well, let me read this start those first three verses, and, and, but keep in mind the third verse that he's got on the overhead. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. So we've already talked about that, just to give you the Bible. Number two, I will send an angel before you. This word angel can be messenger. And the word angel can mean one of two different things. And I don't know which one it was. I have an opinion. That's all it is. And it can be a divine messenger from heaven or it can be a human being that he's prepared to send for that job. I believe in this case it was probably a human being that he sent for that job. But he was sent by God. And what was his job? This angel, this messenger that went to Jericho, that went to Ai, that went to Gilgal, that went to the cities that they were going to conquer in the conquest of the promised land. Listen carefully. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites. I'll drive them out. He isn't saying that you're going to go in and kill all of it, but he did say this. Tell them that if they don't go, they will die. Women, children, soldiers, kings, everybody. If they don't get the heck out of Dodge, 
they're going to die. And it makes no difference who they are, it's going to happen. That's the kind of warning that you would send somebody to make them believe they better get out of town. And he sent this messenger to the king of each of these cities ahead of time to say, and now guys, you know what you're up against, don't you? These are the people that were delivered out of Pharaoh's hand. These were the people that the that the, the lake pulled back and let them walk across on the island. These are the people that God fed out in the desert. These are the people, these are the, the and these are hundreds of thousands of people. They crossed the Jordan River and the Jordan backed up and gave them so they could walk across on dry land. These are the people. This is the God that you're facing. You better take me seriously, he's saying. Now, he not only did that, he did something else that will really get your attention. Did any of you ever take a stick and poke a hornet's nest. Maybe you did a, a, you know, a wasp nest or something like that. It ain't very smart. These, these little bugs will come out of there and attack whoever it is. And if you run, they'll chase you. Interesting. If you look back here in, in the book of Exodus... The subject is still the same. The people who are there, I'm going to drive out before you get there. And anybody that stays, you're to kill, but I'm going to let them know well ahead of time and drive them out. This is the 20, what, 23rd chapter of the book of Exodus. And we'll start reading at, uh, <coughs> well, bear take a snort. I start reading at verse 20 because this is a little bit of a little long one there, but keep 28, the ones on in mind. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I've prepared. Pay attention to him and listen. This is to, this is God speaking through Moses to the Israelites. Don't rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. Now get this. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the prrrts, and I will wipe them out. Now if you quit there, that sounds like genocide. Don't quit. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish and break their sacred stones to pieces. You worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on you, on your food and water. You will not get sick. Your women will not have uh, miscarriages. I'll go before you, in, in verse 27, I will send my terror, that's that ain't, uh, ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. That's before the Israelites get there. Do you see the picture that's starting to develop? I will send, get this, verse 28 now. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the prrrts out of town. What he's talking about here is that their town 
and, 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 the, and the image of, say, of Jericho. Now, I've, I've been in Jericho probably a dozen or more times. This last time I was over there for two weeks, I spent a lot of time there. I've walked all over that mound that's there that's never been inhabited since it was destroyed by Joshua, under Joshua by the Lord. Walking around that area that was a wall city is no more than walking around our property, all the way around the building, down to 27th Street or 25th Street, back around. You can walk the whole thing. You can walk it. So don't get the idea we're talking about a wall city around the city of Portsmouth or something like that. The walls were high. Why were they located there? Because there's water there. There's an artesian well. We used to have one over on Kenny's Lane. Uh, an artesian well that provided water for them. And that, that's still the source of their water in the people that live there in, around the, the, the old city. They, nobody lives on it. It's not that big a deal as far as size is concerned. That town was infested with hornets. And they were told ahead of time, if you don't get out of town, this is exactly what's going to happen to you. So number one, a messenger came, an angel came and told them, you better get out of Dodge because it's not going to be safe for you. Then they were infested with hornets to chase them out of town. Look at the extent to which God is going to keep from having to kill them. Are you getting the picture? And this is right out of the book. I'm building a case for the fact that God loves everybody. He doesn't want to kill anybody. And he's giving them a heads up so he doesn't have to. I'm not done. Okay. Not only that, but when you get to the second chapter of the, of the book of Joshua, verse 1, you can see that he sent people into town ahead of time. He called them spies. They went into town, into this small area. The king found out they were there. You, I mean, in a town that small, you can't keep a secret. If it was 10 million, you, if there's a few women around, you couldn't keep it. Well, I shouldn't say that. Just having fun now. Giving the guys, kind of trying to get to recruit some guys on my side here. Anyway, they found out they were in town, and, 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 and the two spies, they were in trouble. And so... They, the girl who, who probably ran a brothel, her name was Rahab. She said, I can get you over the wall. I know how to do that. If you will protect my family, my mom, my dad, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, so on and so if you will not kill them, and if they can stay here until God does his thing, and you'll protect them, and when you come into town, you'll protect them, I'll help you get out of town. I'll, I can help you get over the wall because my cat house is located here on the wall and there's a wind and I can get you over. She was a prostitute. Probably had prostitutes that worked for her. And they said, deal. Did you know that this girl Rahab is in the lineage, is in the lineage of Christ? I told you God was in the process of preparing a people through whom the Christ would come. So if you've ever had illicit sex, there's hope for you. Because I'd never cease to be surprised at the number who do. Now, so he sends these spies into town. 
But he's not done. And the king then knows from, the, from what, because he then interviewed Rahab. She told him all that went on. He knew that they were coming. This is the king over this settlement. But he's not done. Now we've got a very interesting thing taking place. And the reason this takes place is to give these people time to get out of Dodge. He went to an extreme to save their lives. to keep, And even though people who are ill-informed and who are anti-Christian want to accuse God without any witnesses of genocide. One more thing. This is an interesting... In the sixth chapter of Joshua... This is what takes place, and it takes place this way in order to give the people an opportunity, that they haven't fled yet, an opportunity to leave town. I've got about seven minutes to get this done. I've got to get six days' work done in seven minutes here, so hang with me. The children of Israel were told by the angel that had gone ahead of time, here's what you're to do. You're to go and, and line up your people and march all the way around the city one time each day. You're to have the guys up front and, and back here somewhere, there's a shofar that the kids are, you know, I, had, I brought back some from Israel a long time ago, and it's a ram's horn, and they're to blow these horns, make a lot of racket, to scare the people badly. And then after they'd scared them, they're to go back to their camps. Why did they go back to their camps at night? To give the people an opportunity to leave town safely. And he did this six days in a row. Get out of Dodge. See how much stronger we are than you are. And our God will wipe yours out in no time at all. Get out of Dodge. Because if you don't, you're going to die. It is my opinion, this is pure speculation, that other than Rahab and her family, probably everybody was gone except the king and his soldiers who were trained to fight. They were going to stay there and defend the city. Six days they were given. And on the seventh day, they all came in, marched around it seven times, gave a big shout, and there's where the miracle occurs. At the time the people gave a big shout, there was, and this is a country where earthquakes take place, there was an earthquake, the walls were shaken and, and collapsed, and the people went in. Most of the soldiers were killed in the collapse. And it wasn't much to do to kill the rest of them and to, cap and to capture the king. The people were probably 99% already gone. I'm talking about men, women and children, the innocents, as I would call them. Now, there's one other thing that we need to talk about. Before and, and, the, and the city was totally destroyed. Nobody's lived in it since. And everything that was there was to be piled up and burned. All of it was to be to anything that would remind them of the way that they had lived. Now, why did, what was the motivation? <coughs> What's the justification for what they've done here? What's the justification for completely destroying that place? The same thing with I. It's spelled A-I, but it's a diphthong that's to be pronounced I. 
And from there they went to Gilgal. Same thing. Wiped it out. What had the people done that was so bad that God wanted to get rid of them? Any remembrance of them? Well, I gave you the passages of Scripture here. I'm going to, I'm going to read two, and then we'll kind of bring this to a conclusion. Uh, let's, if we can, look in the 20th chapter of Deuteronomy. And then we'll go back up. I'm going to, uh, another passage that's not listed here that I want you to think about. Here's what he says. This is how you to treat all the cities that you that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. If the cities of the nations that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance do not leave alive anything that breathes, the animals, everything, just completely destroy everything that's left. Otherwise, and this is the reason, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will end up sinning against your God. So he's saying there are detestable things. And now, what were those detestable things that were so bad that the city was to be totally destroyed and everything in it burnt and done away with? Everything. What, what could they possibly do? Well, there are several passages, and I want to go back to one that's not listed there in number three. I want to go back, and you can circle um, Leviticus because... Uh, it, it, Leviticus probably goes in the 18th chapter of, of Leviticus. There are numbers. Levi. Where are you here? I want you to, and here he talks about these very things. One of the problems was their sexual behavior. The towns were absolutely, we know now through research, that those towns were absolutely totally filled with venereal diseases. That's number one. Venereal diseases, as you all know, are highly contagious. So you want to get rid of that totally. And in the 18th chapter of Leviticus, he talks about all of these, um, these sexual things that these people do that you're not to have anything to do with. And this is spelled out, well, if we go, let's see, in verse 24 of chapter 18. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for sin. And the land vomited out its, its, its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. These detestable things, that's mentioned again in verse 29. Anyone who does any of these detestable things should be cut off from your people. Not only are they the people who live there in Jericho, I, and Gilgal, and the rest of the country, but any of you who do them are to be cut off too, are to be eliminated from the, uh, from the citizenship of, of Israel. Get rid of them. It's the, what were some of those things? Well, I don't have time to list them all, but I can tell you that, in my opinion, the worst one is... Baby sacrifice. Now, I gave you these texts. You can look up the other things that they've done that are just nauseating. And some of them you can't even repeat in public. Bestiality is one of them. Sex with animals. You may not know it, 
But the chances are, and one of these days they'll actually repeat it and confess to it, that one of the ways that AIDS got started was because of bestiality. And a lot of innocent people died as a result of it. But the worst, in my opinion, is the sacrifice of babies. What they did is they would take a grate, kind of like you have in a fireplace at home, and they would put charcoal and, and, until it became white hot. They would fan the charcoal until the grate became... And then they would put a live baby on top of that as a sacrifice to their God. The Bible says, in God's eyes, that's detestable. Why? Because he loves everybody. He loves everybody. Not willing that any should perish. He's the one, and God loves you. And God loves the people who live there. He wanted them saved for heaven's sakes. He didn't want to kill them. God isn't willing that any should perish, Peter wrote, that all should come to repentance. There isn't anybody that you know, regardless of what they've done, that God doesn't love and would like to see saved. No one. The difference is, since he's God, he knows who will believe and who won't. We don't. And so we're to love everybody. We're to offer salvation to everybody in the name of Jesus. Because this is a God who doesn't practice genocide. He practices love and salvation. Okay, singers, head up this way. Give you a hit. I have to give my singer guys a little head count here. Head up on, you know. I hope that you understand who your God is. I hope that you come to love him and to know him so well that you will know that when people, I don't care if they got a half a dozen PhDs, you can go crazy by degrees. I don't care how well educated they are. I care about what you think of your and my God. And I hope you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself, and I couldn't give a hoot who your neighbor is. That's what God has taught us. He's a God of love, who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross so you and I could be forewarned and go to heaven. Amen? He's a God of love. And when people make a false charge against him without any scripture to support it and without any witnesses to endorse it, they're guilty of false accusation. And the word false accusation is two Greek words that literally mean Satan has gotten in them. The God that we worship loves you and everybody else that you can name, whether it's a a woman who is practicing in a brothel in Jericho or the smallest child in our Sunday school. Jesus died for all of us. The word God and the word good are the same word. They both have the same root word. Thank you for being here. Continue to pray that we can defend our God. The next few weeks, Matthew will be back. A real lawyer will be up here next week uh, making defense for our God. Uh, I'm just, uh, I just paid for his uh, becoming a lawyer. That's all my participation was. <laughs> and I'm still paying, really. But anyway, it's, it's a, it's, I'm glad. God bless you. Have a good week. Continue to love God and to serve him, I pray.
you're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.